Hi, welcome to Mobile Couch. This is a show where we talk about mobile development, and it's hosted by Jake McMullen. Hi. And Ben Trengrove. Hello. And myself, Jelly, aka Daniel Farrelly. This is episode 24. I have a uh, follow-up. You have follow-up. We have we follow-up. Have, we just have general follow-up. Mm, is I your don't. follow-up the same as my follow-up? I don't know. Let's get going. I've got some here. My follow-up's about the I-rate stuff. Well, the rating stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah? I have something related. So we got follow-up from Arby. Friend of the show. I'm not going to read Arby's entire email because- I think it's fair it's to say Ar- Arby has, has strong feelings on this issue. Arby has strong feelings on this issue, very Which much so. I think it's great. Um, yeah, no, it's good. And I, I think this is why this is such a big topic right at the moment, because everybody has seems to have- Strong feelings. Strong feelings, one way or another. Arby's feelings about this are basically that it's a waste of, in the way that like we were talking about last week with the alert pop-up. Even like a subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Is manipulating the ratings, um, which is against the rules. And I'm, he, he's, he's from the guidelines. He's, he's quoted the guidelines here. If you attempt to cheat the system, for example, by trying to trick the review process, steal data from users, copy other re- developers' work, or manipulate the ratings, your Sorry. apps will be removed so from I'm the store. So I'm just going to pipe in there for a second. That list of badness right. has some things that are really bad. Right. I don't think uh, soliciting reviews is anywhere near as bad as like stealing your users' data or what was the other ones? Like stealing, someone, was else's stealing someone else's work. Right. Yeah. Well, um, he covers this, right? For example, his apps don't ask, like don't have a pop-up to ask for about ratings, which means that because he doesn't ask, he gets he gets less ratings than some well, he says lower ratings, but I would I'm gonna say less because that's actually more likely than somebody who does use it. Uh, which which he argues costs him sales and harms developers like him who do not game the system. So I think that's a good point. It is a little bit of an arms race in the sense that it's a competitive market and you want your app to be noticed alongside other apps. And if other apps have got thousands and thousands of reviews and your app has none, then it can be really tempting to try and solicit some reviews. So right. That- and also the search results, which are horrible because they display one at a time, are and, sorted and the search- are like roughly reviews and all sorts. The search results are awful. I mean, this is, yeah. The problem is not soliciting reviews, although that's a symptom. And I'm not trying to dismiss Arby's feedback. I think his, right his point's a really valid one. Um, I think it's it's fair enough to say that um, soliciting reviews is in poor taste. It is sort of wasting your user's time. Um, in that way, anyway, in yeah. in the method of you know popping up a thing that... Well, e- even if you do it as tastefully as you possibly can... Um, the f- the fact that you're asking a user of your app to say spend some of your time doing something purely for me, the developer, right, is uh, you know you're, you're putting an impost on them, and you might some people might suggest that that's fair enough given the kind of barter you've made with the user. You're saying you get to use some sophisticated software that I've put a lot of time and effort into for free or for very very little. And in exchange, I'd like you to, if you enjoy using it, spend a little bit of your time giving some honest feedback about it. So, you know, that could be construed as a reasonable exchange. Or, as Arby says, it could be that you're unfairly wasting their time. And and, manipulating. Yeah. Manipulating the system. And I guess the the problem is, though, the reason people are seeking to manipulate the system is because the system is completely broken. Right. Like, that, there is no way to respond to questions that are posted as in the form of reviews um 
there's, you know, the search is terrible. There's no way of uh, ensuring that an app appears when it's relevant to the terms people are searching for. Even if you search for an app by the name, right, unless it's a really high-ranking app, it yeah. won't necessarily show up yeah. when you search for it by name. By name. You search for, as an example, you search for progressions. I think progressions, my actual app, which is actually that title, uh, won't show up until like number three or right. something on the list. Yeah. And you search for Twitter, for example, if, if as an exercise for listeners, if everyone goes to the app store and searches for Twitter now, uh, yes, the Twitter app, official Twitter app is the first hit. But the next, like immediately the next three or four or five hits, I've got nothing to do with Twitter. Right. Nothing at all. They're not Twitter clients. They're just just random crapware, basically. Right. How on earth are they appearing when you search for Twitter? Um, perhaps it's got to do with people manipulating ratings. I don't know. But like the point is, if discoverability of apps wasn't so broken, if there were ways of connecting with the, your customers through the apps facilitated by the App Store, then people wouldn't be soliciting feedback as much as they are, which is not sort of defending mm-hmm. dodginess. It's just trying to understand the situation a bit more. And that being said, like I think, I think manipulating the ratings is very is very strong worded. Um, I mean, it, it it all comes down basically to uh, how you're making your user feel, right? And I think that's a, that's a call that you have to make for yourself. You can't just follow the the, the line that everybody else spouts. You've got to make up your own mind on how you feel about it, and and just follow follow your own path. <laughs> Choose yourself. Yeah. And that that being said, you know, popping up an alert is generally a bad way of doing it, uh, simply because you're removing the user from the experience that you've created within your app. Right. I think alert views are kind of, um, you know, unpleasant whenever they're used. Really. Right. I you you should generally try to avoid them unless you're showing some somebody something that is, well, that, that must be acted you know, on before they can do anything else. Right. Like, so you're. Experience of using this app cannot proceed until you've addressed this issue for me. Yep. So mm. it might be like you, like an error has has shown something, and you need them to make a decision on what to do next. Mm. Um, or you happen to have come rain, in range of a Wi-Fi network, and you want to interrupt everything they're doing to suggest that they might <laughs> want to join it. No. No. Okay. That's, that's a bad example. Is that the default? I think that's the default, right? That yeah. iOS prompts you to join it open you networks. Prompts to join networks. I oh, turned it That's off. horrible. Yeah. I haven't used that for ages. And I think this is part of the problem, right? Again, it's going back to what we said in the last episode. I don't want to repeat myself over and over again. There are two app stores. There, there are the, the everyday experience of the everyday user on iPhones is so far removed. I was listening to the most recent episode, I think, of the Accidental Tech podcast. I think it was this show. It might have been another. They had some follow-up where an Apple Store genius came in. The question was, what do people do with iCloud backup? Yeah, that was when that, they that run was, out of space. That was ATP. Right. And the Apple Store Genius's response was every morning when they turn on their phone, there's an error message that says there wasn't enough space and they dismiss it every morning. That's like their new experience of using the phone is turn on my phone. Yeah. Most make, people make that alert if you go away. Like <laughs> and I think this is this is not just phones. Like people don't understand the alerts that they get on a like on a desktop. And so 95% of the they time, click, they just they just Okay, they just click, agree, cancel. Just, as long as it gets rid of they, the message. Yeah, they learn the button that makes the message go away yeah. and don't stop to think about the fact that right. there was a message. And so generally what you want to do is um, you only want to use alert views for stuff that, well, kind of really matters but doesn't really matter. I generally, like as an example for GIF wrapped, like I'm using alert views for most of the 
error messages that are happening as part of something that the user has done, right? So uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Let's say you try to share a GIF from the app, and so you press the button. It'll try to download the GIF if it's from if it's loading it from a website, and then if it fails, it'll pop up an alert view as opposed to popping up the share sheet, which so. Either way, you're going to right. get something so to interact with. you're expecting something and right. you get either a share sheet ready to share or an alert you saying, sorry, it didn't work. Yeah. And obviously it matters like the copy that you use, like the text that you actually use to explain what went wrong. For GIF wrapped, I'm using, I'm using very um, snarky, ha- I think is ha- the word. Having read your uh, release notes throughout the beta period, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Um, Can you put an animated GIF in an alert view? Uh, probably, but I haven't. I haven't done that because that would be, be kind of cool. But I'm using like very snarky stuff and talking in first person, so the app is basically talking to you as opposed to just kind of. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit more personable. Yeah. The idea is that you use terms that you you, know, you make make it feel like it's got personality, hmm. and Not we've talked about that before. Error three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that obviously matters, but then like you also don't want to be using alert views for stuff that you don't necessarily need to use alert views for like i have i have other messages in the app like for instance if a search result fails like if you do a search for a gif online and you don't get any results i'm not going to show an alert view to say no results Mm. i actually all i do is i put i put a thing in the back in where the results would normally show that says no No results results. yeah and it's not like you don't have to dismiss it to continue you can just do another search i quite like what um tweetbot does with using the status bar as an area to display informational messages Mm -hmm. so it's like here's something that's going on that you might want to know about but you probably don't need to deal with right now so we'll just display it up here so it's out the way and it'll disappear in a little while if you don't interact with it and it shows when you like for instance when you submit a tweet yeah that it shows you that it's submitting and then it'll go you know done yeah but then if it's it's got something like more important it'll be bigger like it usually covers the whole nav bar yeah and i like the fact that the status bar is an area where you get status information right (laughs) and they're just kind of using it to display time-specific status information. So instead of saying, you know, battery level, network, signal, just for a temporarily, it's like here's the status of the last thing you did in the app. I think oh, I hope more apps do that. Nice. Mailbox did that first. Oh, right. I don't know about Sorry first. for misattributing it. I don't well, use Mailbox. Before Tweetbot. There's a few apps that are doing it now, but there it was, was really there controversial was when it happened. Real... A lot of people hated it. Yeah. Really? Hmm. I always liked it, but there you go. This so, might be showing my age. I haven't. Embrace the whole concept of third-party email clients on iOS yet? I'm just sticking to mail. I've got I've got Gmail app. Mm. It's I'm just sticking to the mail. Gmail app is good now that you can do background pull. Yeah, because it used to be horrible. Yeah, yeah. Because it would say, you know, you get the push to say you've got a new email, and then oh, you open right, the app, you open and it. there was no email there, and you had to wait for it to download, and it was like, yeah. ah, compared to mail, that was horrible. So maybe get, I should try some. So to get back to our original Follow discussion, up. um. I want to know, like, what do you guys, with the apps that you're creating these days, I say that because obviously we've talked about the sh- the um, mm. shiny things method of asking for reviews, which is the little thing that drops down um, from the top. Mm-hmm. What what are you guys using to ask for reviews in your apps these days? I'm not, not to be not honest. Not at all? Uh, well, the, mainly all the apps I'm doing are sort of client apps where they're not sort of pushing for... right downloads they're pushing for their existing users to have a nice experience but you've you've obviously like you've created apps for yourself like for instance is it hearth yeah but they're not really i'm not making them to try and like make a living off it they're just there so i haven't really put much thought into trying to 
pull more reviews and get more downloads. And What about you, Jake? Uh, I'm being led by clients too. So I'll do whatever the client tells me to do. I'm the sort of person that instead of having a big argument with my client says, no, you're wrong. You have to do it this way. I just go, yes, sir. Right away, sir. Okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, that's not entirely true. Um, but an app I'm working on at the moment, the client did want to direct people to do to submit reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually borrowed your idea of okay. just having something uh, in the settings. It's so, basically, yeah. And it's just basically like a, a shortcut if if to use that sort of wording. Yeah. Uh, actually, and what I did, the, the thing that I recommended to the client, so I, I was like, I'm not entirely led by clients. Um, the thing that I recommended was let make sure you provide a way for people to get in touch with you. Uh, right. So that not all questions go to end up in App Store reviews. That the users who actually have a question and want some information have a way of getting hold of you. So they can oh, yeah. get- see, I do that. I always provide a way for them to get a hold of me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, you do definitely need to do that. And uh, so I kind of group that together in the support and feedback section in settings. There's an not- email address and a. But you're not doing it in such a way that is like is like saying, okay, well, if you don't like the app, then we give you this form to fill out, which sends us an email. No, right. So if you do like the app, you get a a table view. In I've got first of all, I'm displaying some settings in the app as opposed to in the settings app. Yep, I don't. Which is kind of interesting. I don't. Yeah, I I think not many users realize that you can access app specific settings in the iOS settings app as opposed to within. Yeah the mm. app that you're using. Yeah. So I think pretty much all apps that want to expose some settings to users put it within the app. Right. And that's the case with this one. Um, and so in in that settings that section, I've got a table view, grouped table view. So I've just got one of the sections of that table view is support and feedback with two rows. One is an email address and the other is uh, review this app. Yeah, and that's basically what I do. Um, I include a Twitter handle that's relevant to the to the app. So for instance, GIFWrapped has a GIFWrapped uh, Twitter. It has almost the same personality as your uh, alert views. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, no, it, it talks in first person. Right. The it, app tweets. The app tweets. <laughs> and says. And eventually, when, when the Tumblr is, is up and running properly, because you can't be a GIF app without having a Tumblr. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, it will also speak in first person. I have to confess, your app has been the thing that's introduced me to this whole genre. Of, <laughs> of of apps that tweet and like no, have no, personality of, of no, gifs. GIF? Yeah. Oh right, it's pronounced gif. <laughs> no, it's not. Apparently, it is. Uh, <laughs> catch up, man. I, I was familiar with the graphics interchange format, <laughs> but I wasn't familiar with the culture. What the hell is there that, is you a- nerd? It's just called. GIF. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> but uh, look, the, the, one of the things that I want to do with gif wrapped that I'm going to try out, and I saw this on hey, Twitter. Speaking somewhere. of which, I think I'd be correct in saying we just discussed this app in the last episode without actually telling people what it is. Well, it's not out yet, so they don't really need to know. Well, it's obvious. It's in the title. <laughs> you can explain it. No, it's not. They will think it's gift-wrapped. No, no, it's gift-wrapped. It's wrapped. an app for no delivering presents to your friends. Well, why would I want it? You know, something- I don't need to give a spiel right now. It's not even on the App Store. It's, I want a spiel. It's in review. Well, it's waiting for a review. It might be out by the time this episode comes out. Maybe. Maybe. Very maybe. Gift-wrapped is, that is G-I-F-wrapped. As in like wrapped on oh, no, sorry. Like wrapped present. Mm-hmm. Gift wrapped is a an app for collecting gifts that you want to use like res- in responses to people and sharing them from your phone. And discovering new gifts. And discovering new gifts and mm. syncing them to your Dropbox. It's basically just an app for, for 
you know, discovering for collecting and sharing in, gifts in gift culture, which was new to me before I used share. Right. But now I'm like up with the giffy giffy stuff. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of anticipation <laughs> for it. It's really it's really kind of really scary. I've never had this much anticipation for an app that I've built. One of the things that I'm going to do though, in regards to asking for reviews and stuff, um, it doesn't have a thing that pops up, and I'm not going to put that in there. It has the like we like you've got in in the. Because I stole it from you. App. It has that, just like Progressions has has the uh, the shortcut to the basically the app page. Did you take it straight to the review page? Well, you can't do it anymore. Oh, no, did I was they take that away? That's did gone. you use Stalk it to do it within the app? Yeah. No, I just do a link. Yeah, okay. So I've got a post on my blog about how you can use Stalk it to do, to send, rather than taking people out of the experience of using your app and booting them into the App Store app, that right. you can display a sheet within your app that has your app's app store entry on it. Can you do that? You can. Yeah. You need to use Stalkit. And there well, is there it. is a question mark over whether or not you it's legitimate to include the Stalkit framework purely for the purpose well, of I'm displaying. Using, I've got in-app purchases. So right. Fine. So if you're doing that, I, I'd suggest that a nicer experience for users, if you're going to give them a way to get to your app store entry, hmm. um, having it so that they don't have to leave your app is probably a nicer way of doing it. That's actually a very good thing. I might include that in the... In the minor update, can you pre-fill it out for them? Uh, no, no, oh, that's that, that would be bad. And again, I don't think you can send them to the review part. I think you can just send just them to open your, the, the yeah. actual app. But one of the things I'm going to do is, and I saw this on Twitter, I think, and I'm not sure who came up with the idea, but I really like it, and I'm going to try it because a lot of people don't read uh, release notes right. Mm-hmm. Really, the only people that read them are the people that actually care about like things that you've done to the app. Right, and and Apple's actually pushing people in the direction of reading it less by iOS 7 having auto-updating apps. Right. So that you could actually not know that the app was updated until you see that little tiny blue dot and the truncated name. Yep. Yeah. Drives me... I don't yeah. understand the and truncated especially name. especially gif wrap. has got a long name anyway, and so it gets truncated like, like gif wrap. Yeah. Oh, well, you can still kind of get it. It kind of works. Um. But one of the what I saw on Twitter was somebody using the release notes as a place to ask for reviews. Oh, that's pretty. And cool. I really liked that. I thought um, that was a really good idea. Plain Finder does that. Um, that might have been the app that did it. I don't. I don't know. I saw a, like a. It's pretty it common. They say every update wipes out our previous reviews, so it'd be great if you would. Yeah, give and us it's a just new one. like it's just basically for people that, who so care. Going back to the well, the reason people are soliciting reviews isn't that crap. The the fact that that you've submitted up. Yeah, to the that? app store means that you're well yeah it's it depends good, it's on bad. how bad your reviews were. it depends on if you've got like some because you can have like a really bad release that has like a major yeah. crash or something and, and, and you I can get understand all these bad why reviews. apple does it from a user's perspective i guess reviews that relate to the current version are much more relevant than reviews that have been there from a different version because apps could change quite considerably right um so i can kind of understand why they do it but the fact that like it just it just seems Going back to Arby's point about the fact that all of this is manipulating the ratings, it really is. It's it's there are two sides to this game, and Apple are imposing these kind of arbitrary rules for their reasons, and developers are kind of engaging in this behavior that that tries to game the system a little bit because mm-hmm. you kind of need to. Anyway, that was a lot of follow up, a long bit of follow up, and we have more. Okay, tell us about this follow up. Uh, okay. So we were talking about, um, we are still talking about dodginess. 
dodginess. Yes. And respecting your users. Right. I have a related issue. It's kind of follow-up. It's kind of a new topic. Well, because um, we talked about like respecting users and stuff last week. So yeah. that kind of works. And this is, this is related. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about privacy. Again, talked about that last week, Did except we? it was regarding beta, beta testing. That's why I have follow-up. Mm. I listened to last week's show. And it prompted me that I had more to say on the issue of privacy. I'm just going to point out you were on last week's show. <laughs> Was I? <laughs> you didn't, you didn't I just listen. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, yes, we talked about tracking. Yes. Right. Um, I wanted to, I, I was reminded of something that I neglected to say last time that I wanted to say this time. Um, here in Australia, for those of you who are like us in Australia, firstly, happy Australia Day or Invasion Day, depending on That was on like your a week ago, it. man. Was it was like a week ago? I'm still recovering. Woo, Australia. Um, secondly, in Australia we have a, a information commissioner, information slash privacy commissioner, and uh, the office of the Australian Information Commissioner have published a guide called a Better Practice Guide for Mobile App Developers in Privacy. Uh, it's actually a really cool document. It's a not particularly long, easy read, uh, and it recommends basically what they consider to be the best practice in terms of respecting people's privacy. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I think for even people listening outside of Australia, it's worth a read because it basically says um, when you're building apps, you should think about who's using it and you should treat them nicely. Um, and the recommendation is uh, that you do privacy by design. I'm putting that in quotes because that's their special little phrase. Uh, and all that means is you think about what personal personally identifiable information your app might collect from users mm. and what you do with it during the information life cycle. So um, <laughs> actually have like, you know, spend some time thinking about it. What Firstly, only collect personal the personally identifiable information that your app actually needs to perform its function. Where possible. Um, so, you know, I don't know, if you're doing an email client, you probably need to know their email address. And possibly mm -hmm. their co contacts. Possibly their contacts. Right. Um, if you're doing a timer app, you probably don't need to access their contacts. Or their, or their email. Or their email. Or the camera roll. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the basic principle is um, only collect the information that you actually need to perform the function of your app and think about what you're going to do with that information, how you're going to store it, uh, how you're going to prevent others from accessing it, um, whether you're going to give people the opportunity to edit it, correct it, to, to delete it. Um, and then disclose all of this to people in an upfront way. Um, they actually recommend that you develop a privacy statement and show it to users the very first thing you do when they launch your app. Oh, no, no I hate no. that. I, no. I, I, I agree <laughs> with your response. Like, I feel like that's that's actually not respecting users. That's kind of horrible. It means the experience it's of so installing the app the first, well. the first time yeah. is just like, is just horrible. So when I've been working with, um, with clients uh, who obviously want to comply with the information commissioner's guidelines. What I try and do is say, well, let's make it so that the app doesn't collect any personally identifiable information on first launch. So when you first launch the app, it doesn't collect any information at all. Right. Uh, and it's not until the user takes some action within the app that would give the app access to their information or uh, after a period of use, the app might prompt users. So, for example, analytics. You, you might... Some people's reading of the law might say that a device's identifier is considered personally identifiable information and therefore you mm -hmm. need to be upfront. I think irrespective of what the law says, it's a nice idea to let people know you're collecting analytics. So 
where I'm using them, basically the app doesn't start collecting analytics until like the third or fourth launch, at which point it does display a little short notice. Do you want to help us improve this app? Yes, no. If you select yes, that notice kind of animates to get a bit larger and you get a nice, simple, single screen statement of the privacy policy, which basically says in you know plain language, we're going to use, for example, Google Analytics. This means that uh, we'll come up with a random number to represent you and we'll submit that with a log of the sorts of things you do in the app, like which buttons you press, which screens you go to, so that we can help understand how people use the app to make it better. Do you agree? Yes, no. Um, yeah, so it's basically just being upfront about the information you collect and what you do with it and giving the user the option of opting out if they're not comfortable with it. And so that's like a little thing that comes up, just not like an alert view, but like a little little like banner at the top or the bottom of the, of the app? Yeah, and then it's sort of the first thing is, you know, uh, for this purpose, because the personally identifiable information is related to analytics, mm-hmm. um, I only you know bother collecting analytics if people say that they yes they do want to help improve the app. Um, you should totally open source that. Yeah, it's yeah I, I should, which leads me to my other bit of follow up. <laughs> Unless you guys have got anything to say on privacy? No, I, I I think that look I mean as far as privacy is concerned, I think there is a there is obviously a line. There is, I mean, there's a huge gray area, but there is a line, right? So you can be completely, you know, in the white area and then you kind of move into this gray area of like collecting information about the user and depending on the user, they might have different level of problem with depending on how much you're collecting. But then there becomes a point where you cross the line and it's just bad no matter what. Passing their phone book for friends and yeah. then messaging them and about obviously, the And obviously those, the, the ones that do, get, they get talked about, right? Yeah. When they, mm. As soon as they get found out, they get talked about. Yeah. I think it's it's just a matter of like most pe- most people most general developers probably into our entire audience unless there is some you know really dodgy people in our audience which I don't think so our audience is amazing I think most most people like will know kind of like if you have to ask yourself you probably like it you, it's probably a no yeah and I think it's also probably a good idea to assume that other people's like your users feelings about privacy may be different from your own. Right. So it's, you know, probably think about the most kind of potentially paranoid, cautious person you could imagine um, and deal with personal information in a way that would make them happy. Right. Rather than just assuming, oh, no one cares about this stuff because I don't care about it. Yeah. So like, and basically you can make that choice for yourself. And if you really, if you really can't make the choice, then maybe ask somebody who you respect that, you know, that what they think so you can get like a second opinion but as a general rule if you really have to ask like is this okay it probably isn't Mm. i'm not a lawyer please go and seek professional legal advice if you feel that you need to um in australia apps are governed by the privacy act which does regulate what you what you can collect and what you need to do if you do collect personally identifiable information um so this guide published by the privacy commissioner actually kind of has pointers to the actual law um, and their recommendations if you follow them. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but if you follow the Privacy Commission's recommendations, then you should be doing the right thing by the law. Right. So there is, you know, there's an aspect of be careful, um, be good to your users, but there's also, um, if you're in Australia at least, make sure you're complying with the law. But you don't even have to think of it as like a, oh, I can't do that. Like that's a, that's a no, like that's a no, no area. Like you don't even have to think about it like that. Like just think about it in, in such a way as like, if you if you do this, if this is discovered, what is the yeah, outcome going to be? React? Like, how feel? are people going to react when they? F- and how is that going to to affect your uh, your app's 
mm. you know, just the, the general feeling about your app. And most bad privacy things are going to end up with you with people not feeling good about your app. Yeah, exactly. and if people don't feel good about your app, then your app's not going to like your app's going to suffer for it. It's not going to sell and all that sort of stuff. You're going to get bad ratings when you get when you ask for ratings or don't ask for ratings. Speaking of ratings. And speaking of open source code. I, I thought we had other follow-up that we were going on to, but okay, sure. This is the other follow-up we're oh, going right, on okay. to. I just seamlessly yeah, segued seem- to yeah, it. Yeah, okay, good, good. Did you see how we moved on I, without... I, I see, I just got confused. So last episode, we talked about open sourcing code. Right, open sourcing code, yep. And I think I was making the argument. I was being an extremist and was suggesting that you could even open source a whole app because right. your source code is not the thing that makes your app valuable. Um, so it turns out Nick Lockwood, who was the developer behind the open source irate library, mm-hmm. which has been discussed previously, yep. uh, has open sourced his whole app. And what does this app do? So uh, it's called Concurrency. It's a currency converter. It's got uh, it's really nice design for iOS 7. Um, it's I think it's 99 cents in the App Store. Um, or you could go to his GitHub account and get the source code for the app. Mm. Um, he doesn't. He makes it clear on his GitHub page that he's not open sourcing it with the view that you should then go and submit the exact same thing to the App Store, uh, but that it's so that you can learn how to or how not to build apps. Um, but I just thought it was interesting follow-up yeah. from our, our conversation last time. Which there is- are a few things where people have submitted apps uh, that have open-source apps um, before. Like I've seen apps that have been open-sourced. I mean, a lot of the time you see it when people want to create an app that won't get through to the App Store anyway. And so the way to actually for people to use it just is to open source, source it. Yeah. I think briefs did that. Um, so, like there, there are obviously, and I mean, even if you even if you discount that and just say like you you have an app, it, uh, like there is a reason you might want to open source it. But I don't think, like, I think there's kind of there there is still like a a line, and it depends on it really just depends on the developer. Like, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to open source gift wrapped. I'm mentioning it here because I think this is further fuel for my argument of last episode, which is I, I, I have a bet with you, right? My wager would be were you to open source GIF wrapped, you would not lose any money on sales of Git wrapped. That's my- Did you say Git wrapped? GIF wrapped. Get right. <laughs> Git wrapped. That's your next one. That's my next one. Git wrapped. It allows you to discover and share with your friends little segments of code from GitHub. Yep. But quite- I don't want anybody knowing about this okay. until it's finished. Okay. <laughs> no, um, like I don't want to open source GIF wrapped, but only because, I mean, it's not the, the the actual, like the functions of the app are not that, I mean, I could open source it and it wouldn't really make much difference, right? I mean, the code for creating, like for showing, displaying GIFs, not really that hard. Heaps of open source projects do it. You can pretty much download something like a, just add a CocoaPod and all of a sudden, voila, you can display animated GIFs just by simply referring to the file. Cool. Or by passing the data. The, like and, and everything else, like the you know, the collection view is probably all really shoddy code and stuff like that. But there's two reasons why I don't want to open source it. First of all, it's it's really shoddy code. It is it's because I've been working on it for a couple of months now. Yeah. It's essentially like it's a mess that I know everything is, but I don't like if yeah, I open source. You, you don't it, want to put it out there as an like, exemplar of your best work because right. you've made pragmatic decisions to, to ship it. And, yeah, and yeah. so I've just I've I've been kind of approaching it with this idea of I want to get this out, not I want to make this code amazing. I think that's completely reasonable. I think that's probably why like Apple have so many private APIs that 
live as private APIs for so long before they become public. Right. Because there's a point at which when you put it out there, you've got to like say, okay, I'm happy with the state that it's in. It's no longer in flux. It's no longer evolving and changing. Mm. It's going to be like this for some time. And right. it represents, you know, the public interface I want to put out there. Um, Actually, I, did, I deprecated my first method today. That was that was kind of a milestone for me. Did you use the proper tag so it comes up in the compiler as deprecated? Yeah. Nice. Mm. I pushed it to, it was a file drone update. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. I, I, I haven't looked at Nick Lockwood's code, so I don't know how what state his code is. It'd be interesting right. to have a look at. It was whether and you've not- open sourced apps before. Like I'm fairly certain you actually did developed. App, yeah, I did an app for app the National source. Library. Yeah, and I actually started. I, I had a public GitHub repo during development. Right. Um, and it was a little bit of an experiment in whether that would be a good discipline in getting me to write write my code in such a way that I thought from the outset about the maintainability and uh and it kind of didn't work if you look at the code you probably see that the commits early on were like really kind of nice atomic changes where i just changed mm-hmm. one thing commit to that and then towards the end i was just changing big like chunks big chunks of yeah, things get wrapped, and get commenting wrapped. stuff and out got me saying and commit message was just made changes yeah fixed some stuff <laughs> gift wrapped gift wrapped is just like that yeah. Um, there's, I've, I basically haven't checked in anything for like the last month. And so my last checking is just like prepared. That's, prep, that's prep kind of for, scary. What if your computer dies? Well, it's, it's all in Dropbox anyway. All right. What if Dropbox I, oh, dies? Do you put Git in Dropbox? No, I've never had a trouble with it. Oh God. When it goes bad, it goes so bad. I, I used to do it and was always like one of those people that goes, yeah, I've never had a problem. It's no problem. It's no worries. And then it went bad and I had to delete everything and repull everything. Yeah. Okay. Because um, something, I've never had a problem with it. So I've, it had a it had a conflict, and it conflicted inside the like you know Git stores files about changes. Yeah, yeah. So it had a conflicted Git. Ah, uh, yeah. That that's no good. And it did it to every single repo somehow. Oh god. The thing is, is that I mean, I don't use. I'm I'm basically like ninety percent, five percent of the time. I'm the only person using yep, my me too. my thing. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, that's my word of warning to everyone. I was burned hard. But at least I commit and push Look, pretty as good. You, so as I just repulled. It was just time yeah. consuming. Anyway, but get, yeah, getting back to the question. My of point open was source. Yeah, my, my point was I, I haven't I haven't committed well, I've I've committed today. Like I did a basic like cleanup of okay, this project is done, so you know, fin- finalize everything, commit all my stuff, do all that sort of stuff, push the open source bits. And like that's the like my gif my gif wrapped tag was something along the lines of prepped for version one app store launch. Yeah. Did you tag it? You should use a Git. I haven't tagged it yet. Oh, this is really good. I, I don't tag. I don't tag it unless I, unless it actually makes it. And oh, then okay. I'll tag Fair it. enough. So if it once it actually gets released, then I'll tag it. So look, you don't need to convince me why you don't want to open source it. I, I was just kind of, I guess, being. I know, but intentionally I think kind of extreme. Like I completely well, agree. Like I'm not suggesting everyone open source all of their apps. That would probably be kind of nuts. But just as a sort of. I'm just thought experiment. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to consider if you were to, would it make any difference to sales? Well, WordPress is completely open source and yeah. it's a very successful business. Yeah. Right. There's plenty of them. Um, but the other the other thing that I, I think deserves mention, and I, I, I don't, like I'm not, I understand that you don't necessarily think that everybody should open source everything. But another thing that you should keep in mind is, and this may happen with GIF Wrapped, who knows, um, if at some point, Gifrap gets sold, not as like you know oh, right. c- consumer yeah. sales, but gets sold to like a company that decides that they want to you know use my app for as their 
starting yeah. for their company app, right? Why why would they buy it if they could just get the source code? Right. By open sourcing it, I'm basically I'm basically cancelling that that capability. Or at least making it a lot more difficult for them to do that. Yeah, again, less. Like I, I completely agree. And just to clarify, I keep arguing this position, um, not so much because I, it's one that I hold passionately, but because it's kind of, I find it interesting to think about. Um, I think that the chances are of you getting it getting bought like that would probably still happen because what people would want, you know, if GIFRAP were to become a, a massive success and someone wanted it. Um, which may very well happen. May very um, well. What a potential buyer would probably want is the brains behind GIF wrapped. It's not sure. It's not the actual source code that represents the current state of the app. It's the thinking that went into it. The um, thinking about Acqui. what what, fu- what the future Acquire. for it could be. Right. The ability to create, like, to conceive of and develop and deliver a good product. Like, it's not. Yeah, the code in someone said, else's hands is nowhere near as valuable as the code in its creator's hands. Is I guess my point. Well, but but that being said, like it's that's a risk. That's always yeah. going to be a risk that you you have to decide on when you when you're doing that. Mm. And it's just one of those things where you have to make the decision. Okay, if I do this, what's going? What is the fallout going to be? Yeah. What's going to be the consequences of me open sourcing this? Um, do I want those? Are those consequences good? Are they consequences that I want, mm. or are they? or they bad um and so you basically have to you have to make that decision it's exactly the same as the irate stuff and the the rating asking for ratings i keep saying irate but just asking for ratings in general right when you when you go when you do something like that you've got to ask yourself about how that's going to affect your app Mm. and there's going to be different reasons why you need to ask that but you you should never make a decision like that's as big as open sourcing your entire application lightly. You mm. can't just, you, you should never just, you know, throw it up on the, on, on GitHub and then go, okay, well, why not? It should be like, if, if you care at all about the future of the app, you should be sitting down and thinking, okay, what's this going to do? Am I going to want to do this to it later? Um, what's the poss- what what's the roadmap that I have for this app? Do I want to? Am I going to continue developing it for you know ten years? Hmm. Do I want to? You know, am I going to want to sell it at some point? And that's not to say I'm you know going into this wanting to sell gift wrapped, but I've I have sat down and I've just de- I've made a decision as to why I don't I'm not going to open source it. And I think that's I think that's something that everybody should go through when they're open when they're determining what yeah, to sure. pull out of their app and open source, whether Definitely. that be one small piece or the entire or application. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that yeah. Nick had done this. And so if anyone wants to, we'll stick the link to his GitHub project in the show notes and right. you can check it out. Um, so I think that's all the follow-up I've got. We've got like 20 minutes left. That's good because I haven't done my homework. <laughs> we were going to talk about Reactive Cocoa. We're not going to talk about Reactive Cocoa today, though. No, because I, um, although I've started to use it, I still don't fully understand it. And I feel uncomfortable about using it. Uh, well, I mean, before we before we kind of move on to whatever we're going to talk about next, for the listeners out there that have used Reactive Cocoa, we'd love to hear about what you think about Reactive Cocoa. If you've used it, maybe give Jake some tips or something. Yes, please teach me Reactive Cocoa. Uh, maybe some you know links to resources that we can use. Um, the book that I am reading is good, uh, and it has certainly improved my understanding. It's we, got a step by step tutorial. We mentioned that, that at the end of the last episode, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, but I just haven't made that leap of taking, as I said, I think last time, the principles in the tutorial and being able to apply them in my own projects. Right. 
as much as I would like. Like I've sprinkled bits of reactive cocoa through some projects, but I feel a little bit like I haven't got that react functional mindset yet. Okay, so given that that's the case, uh, we won't talk about reactive cocoa until you have got a bit of an understanding of it so that we're not you know, leading people astray on this. That sounds this, good. This amazing podcast. Um, so in that case, what else can we talk about? I have two things that I've done since last episode that I, I think are interesting and I'd That's like to right. talk about. Let's uh, talk, yeah, Pars. Okay. You helped me with some Pars stuff. What yeah, did I helped you, think? you on the web, web end. Um, so shall I explain what I was doing with Pars? Well, let's, let's first of all, let's explain what Pars is. Okay, you can do that bit. Well, Pars is basically a, a service that lets you provide, I guess, cloud-based uh, stuff, server-based stuff, a back-end for your code. I, I think the genre of this type of thing is called a platform as right, a service. Right, right. Um, it basically gives you the ability to um, send push notifications, do stuff in the in the cloud, store data in the cloud, um, and and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Key yeah. value got a key value store. Yeah, uh, it's got iOS APIs, Android APIs, Windows Phone APIs, yeah. JavaScript APIs, so you can do. And so you can stuff. do like a cross-platform thing, which is what we yeah. did. We exactly. I, I did some JavaScript stuff for you, and you did some iOS stuff. Exactly. So the thing I was messing with is um. Uh, actually harping back to an earlier episode where we talked about potentially winning work and how we find work. Right. Um, this is a potential client um, who had an idea, wanted to find out if something was feasible. Um, so I've done a little bit of exploratory work just to have something to show them and say, I think it might be feasible. This is how it could work. And um, the idea hinged around being able to notify people of things via a push notification if they were in a particular location. I'm, cons- I'm, I'm really interested in how you did that, right? Because I, I understand what I've done on my end, uh, but I don't really understand what happens, like how yeah, sure. you're determining. So, so it's a simple app. Um, basically, I've done a, a really simple... So I'm using PARS as the back end for all of this. Yep. I did a really simple iOS app. It's probably 20 to 30 lines of code. Okay. Um, and all it is is a view controller with a little... Switch on it, yeah, like a toggle switch. Yeah, toggle switch. When you turn it on, it enables uh, location-based notifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that does is it turns on um, the significant location change service. Ah, um, which so I've got a CL location manager, right? Um, that is monitoring for significant changes in location. Right. I've changed the setting in the plist file that enables this to happen in the background when the app's not running. Yep. Or well, when the app's not in the foreground. So basically, as you move around, my understanding of the significant location change service is that it kind of piggybacks on things that your hardware's doing anyway. Right. So instead of using GPS to continually track your location as you move around, it makes use of the fact that your phone gets in touch with cell towers from time to time. And triangulates and, based on that. Yeah. And so basically, when your cell radio fires up in your phone and you're talking to a new cell tower the location service says, looks like you're in a new location. I'll get the best estimate I can of your location from the towers you're talking to, the Wi-Fi routers you're near, et cetera, GPS if it needs to. Um, so I, I think it doesn't use too much battery, but although having turned it on for a while, it does use a bit. Um, and so basically I've got significant location change on and whenever the location manager delegate is called with the new location, I just uh, update a value in the PARS backend um, with the most recent location, uh, just a single lat long. Yep. And then the bit that I got your help with was a little front end so that the people can target push notifications. So right. 
And so basically what I created was basically a map interface using Mapbox yeah. uh, that you have a point which you can drag around and move it around and then a little radius that you can expand with a little draggy bit. Which I love, by the way. I love that little draggy bit. Yeah. So you can actually see the so radius kind of that you're targeting a general and area. It. Yeah. Yeah, so it creates like an area, like a a, a circle, circular area that of a radius that it targets, and so it sends that, it sends basically the the lat long and the distance, the radius dif- distance to the pars backend, which I guess then the pars backend then figures out who's in the area and sends out a push notification to that. Exactly. So the pars backend again is about ten lines of code. Um, it's using cl- cl- cloud code, code cloud. Yeah, yeah. One of those yeah. ways around, uh, which is basically you can write some JavaScript that'll run on Parse's infrastructure for yeah. you, um, and it just exposes a a RESTful interface. RESTful, you're, yeah, you're submitting a post to it, um, and then there's a few lines of JavaScript that basically get the the lat, the long, and the radius and the message, um, and then it queries the data store for any users within that radius of the lat long. Um, and that's something that's built into Parse. It's got this thing called um, GeoPoint, mm-hmm. and you can query based on GeoPoint. So there's a query. You basically construct a Parse query, and you say where something is within a certain number of kilometers of a given point, and it will return those matching results. And then I just send push notifications to them. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty straightforward. It was really straight. Like con- considering what it does, right? So it's basically a, a tool that lets you choose a location, uh, like a an area, send a message to people within that area and have it go out to any phones that are in that area hmm. via an iOS app and I guess like other other types of apps yeah. in the future if that is the case. And pretty much every single part of it is only like a few lines of code yeah, long. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like the combination of Mapbox, Parse, Backend and iOS SDK and the significant location change. Like I, I probably think that of the code that, you or I wrote, there's probably maybe a hundred lines of code all up yeah. in, in the various and I mean, the some of my end, code is like, end, is like the, prettiness code yeah. and like accessibility code. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's, it's kind of indicative of how good these platforms are becoming. Right. Like think back to a few years ago and like I remember when um you know the whole iOS thing started happening and I was messing with push notifications. There wasn't even a way of like have you ever looked at the the low level how you send a push notification through Apple's push notification service? I have not. Yes, it's you open a socket and write oh god stream data to the socket. Oh, and like there's you pad your messages and put like a end of message. Like you don't yeah. open and close connections because the idea is you want to have one long long running connections through which all your messages go. It's so quite you know, interesting when you think about how push actually works because surely at some point someone's got to be polling something. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how what happens from Apple's push notification server through to the devices. Yeah, but I certainly from from server to from your server to Apple's server, it's just a single socket connection that you you write bytes into. This used to be something that I knew when I was working. Well, it probably at Vodafone is hardware based, so the processor would get a hardware interrupt, which would fire off, you know, a different jump address and all that low level stuff. You no? lost. You lost no? me. Too, at, too low. Okay, <laughs> you lost me at hardware. I think. I think it has something to do with like the pings that your phone is doing to cell towers, right? Because your cell tower, you, you, your phone is 
is it's like is it kind of like basically keep lives? Is that what it is? Every, every now and then, it like it's che- it's making sure that it's like it's looking for the cell towers yeah, in this end, yeah. right? Making sure that it's in in range. Have you got a phone call for me? And then there is like there's a, there's something that comes through that that that, that Apple piggybacks on in that yeah. that sends the push There's notification no in the end. I believe that's, well, that's I believe yeah. that's correct. So the that's, thing if that that's data, not correct, then maybe email us. Yeah, too. So the thing that amazes me is just in, a f- I guess, a few short years, we've gone from having to do that kind of quite low-level stuff to now having these like a proliferation of these platforms as a service where hmm. with a few lines of code, you can have, you know, geo-based queries to get users. You can send or push notifications. notifications. Yeah, exactly. It's It's cool. I think like I think that's really really interesting. Like there are so many really interesting things that you can do with really basic code um, these days, mm. and, and that's not even including like the parse backend. Just like some of the map based stuff and the and the geolocation stuff that we we like that we were do- dealing with. Like there is some really cool stuff that you can do really very, very straightforward, and it doesn't take like it, it takes so little to do, to actually make it work. Yeah, exactly. It's nice. Well, there was one other thing that I messed with. Um, since last episode that I found interesting. Okay. Slash frustrating. Have you either of you looked at layout to layout transitions? I have. I have not. So this was a, f- a new fancy that came with iOS 7, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being kind of like the Photos app, right? Everyone's familiar with the Photos app. You've got your albums Right, where you have the v- like a thumbnail view zooms out to the be the full view and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. And so you kind of um, – you're viewing the same collection of things at different levels of zoom detail, kind of. Right. Uh, and it transitions seamlessly between them. Um, so in iOS 7, they, they basically brought out this thing called layout to layout transitions, where if you were transitioning from a collection view controller to another collection view controller that was providing views of the same collection, you could automatically transition from one layout to the next and it would animate it for you and you wouldn't have to do anything. A single line of code. All you have to do is on the collection view controller that you're presenting the destination collection view controller you say set users layout to layout transitions yes and magically will animate everything for you that sounds kind of magical it's best not to think about the magic because the magic's kind of gross it's kind of and it freaks (laughs) me out and i you ended up having to write well i ended up having to write a whole heap of mess to get it to actually work and it's either because i'm misunderstanding it or because it's just wrong but basically what i've now come to understand which may or may not be the the actual reality please correct me if i'm wrong is that um what's happening is that your destination collection view controller is in fact no longer a collection view controller that you end up with just a single collection view controller being the source one managing the collection view and you're having Two transitioning from two layouts with the single kind of collection oh, view. Oh, right. There so is only one collection view. Right. So your destination oh. view controllers is still being a view controller. So it's view did load and view will appear and view did appear methods are called. Yeah. But none of the collection view delegate or data source methods in your destination collection view controller well, are called. Work. Right. So you then have to write the data source and delegates methods in your first collection view controller to be aware of which layout is being used for the collection. Oh, To do kind of special casing. Right. And and all sorts of weird things. Like in my case, I had um the first one was a vertically scrolling collection view that scrolled smoothly with multiple cells on a page. Yep. And the second one was a horizontally scrolling collection view that had paging enabled with just a single cell visible at a time. Um, and I transitioned to the 
second one and it wouldn't be paging even though it was set my storyboard to page um i'm like what's going on so in my like view will appear i'd be like make the collection view page and then i'd go back to the previous one and scroll vertically and suddenly my vertically scrolling one which was previously smooth had was now paging i'm like what's going on so i had modified its view will appear to say set yourself back to right not paged and finally dawned on me that this is what was happening that there was this single collection view that was being used and i had stuff mm. like um in the kind of master view i just wanted the cells they showed images and in the detail view i wanted some text to appear as well mm-hmm. but because it's using the same collection view and the same data source and delegate methods i couldn't have two separate cells because it would be dequeuing using the same code like reusing the cells that were already right. on screen in the previous one yep. so i had to have like these toggle on my cells to say are you in detail mode or are you not in detail mode and then if you're in detail mode show some other stuff and then i had to like find out ways of kind of getting the cells to redo their layout because it, setting them to detail mode wasn't getting them to redraw and they were still showing stuff when they shouldn't have been and yeah it was really painful that sounds, that sounds painful and the result was something that the animated effect <laughs> didn't actually look, look very good, good. <laughs> so i ended yeah. up pulling it all out and going with a standard push navigation controller side, a, which um, looks good there's a wwdc talk on this exact topic yep. where they explain it all mm. I, and i watched that like some time ago which may be why i've maybe i've done it wrong because my memory's really hazy or maybe it's just that's how it's meant to work um i, I googled a fair bit while i was doing this and i i seem to find lots of people saying huh is this really <laughs> how it's meant to work um and it seems that it is so if anyone's is- using layout to layout transitions and loving it. them please share share your love so i can it must recover be, it a must, bit from my yeah, ordeal. It must be pretty, pretty bad for you, considering that you both mostly use like storyboards and segues and stuff for for yeah, all your for transitions. Everything. Actually, I did I did do something in in GIF wrapped with with like hard code, like actual coding of transitions for people who haven't got the app. Uh, it has a flip animation, kind of like what the iBooks app had and some other apps uh, where you where you have like your library and then you flip over and it had a store. Um, in GIFRabbit, it's like you have a library and then you flip over and it has like an explore section that lets you find new GIFs. Um, that flip transi- transition, just the default modal view one, um, didn't really work. It was jumpy and did all sorts of crazy things when you when you tried to do it. And so I had to basically write my own, but it's actually really easy. Like there's, you basically put in uh, several 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 blah, several methods into your into your view controllers. And uh, then when you present, do the presentation, it runs through that code and does whatever animations you set. And yeah, so cool. in my case, I have just like a flip animation and it works 100% seam- seamlessly. Nice. Is that with a 3D transform? Yeah, I believe so. That's I'm going to cool. look it up. Uh, is it a custom segue? Is that what it is? No. No, it's a custom no, no, no. view controller transition. I don't, is that right? Yes, because I don't use storyboards, so I can't use segues. There you go. I'm sad for you. Because you can do <laughs> the same with a custom segue. I, look, look. There are times when I, when because I don't use storyboards, it becomes really, really difficult. You know, the, uh, again, this is going to be something that people aren't going to necessarily, necessarily going to understand. Gifwrapped had a like an onboarding wizard yes. that when you first ran the app, um, like it had like a little through. page pages of stuff that you had to go through. Hmm. Would have been so much easier had I used like nibs or storyboards to actually lay that stuff out because I could it was basically just visual stuff. Hmm. Um it would have been really easy to just lay it out and then have that called for each of the pages. Um I did that all programmatically, which was 
kind of painful because there was a lot of things that I had to kind of take into account. Using like with, auto layout? No, not even that. Just just basically setting everything out um, and dealing with like a different size for the iPad. Because I have to say, auto layout in the latest version of Xcode is actually kind of nice. With getting there. It's getting there. Um, I did something interesting with auto layout as well. I did a little like a progress view mm. uh, audio playback thing. Yeah, and, and you know to show you how far you are through an audio track. Um, and rather than programmatically adjust the size of my progress indicator. Yeah, the actual progress bit. Yeah, I, in my storyboard, I just stuck it so it was like halfway across and set constraints for its distance from the top, its distance from the left, from the right, and from the bottom. And then I created an outlet for the constraint on the right. And just use a constraint to Yeah, and just change the, the constraint's constant value to adjust its size. Mm, nice. That's cool. So like in code, all I had to do was set one value and it would nicely change. Did you set the one on the left or the right? Just on the right. So the left, top, and bottom are fixed. Mm. So it's always zero pixels from the bottom and a certain number from the left and however much. And then the one on the right was the one I exposed. So it would resize for like iPads, different size phone screens and whatnot, but still. That's cool. Hmm. It's nice. Storyboards. Yeah, I'm not going to like storyboards. Thank you. I, it, it may have caused me some pain with that, which I ended up pulling out in the, what anyway. about just using a nib? Yeah. Because you can do that. You can load just a view from one a single no, nib. I know you can. I just, I didn't do it. And I ended up pulling out the onboarding wizard anyway because, um, well, I didn't like it. Not because it was annoying to There's, to there's build, a school of thought that says if, because if I you've got do one of those, you failed. Yeah. It's like if you see a stylus, and the thing you is, failed. And the thing is I created that originally because originally when I first submitted the app, when you opened up the app, it had nothing. Like it was an empty view controller. Mm. And so basically I wanted a way of going, okay, well then this is how you put stuff in. Yeah. And so I had this onboarding wizard, which would basically first welcome you to the app and then it would, you know, give you like a little applause gif and tell you how awesome you are. Which is kind of nice. Like I, yeah. I don't think I subscribe to that school of thought that if you've got one of those, you failed. Like I kind of think that like sometimes the, it's uh, nice to lead people into it and sort of say, right. "Hi, welcome. This is and what so, it's all about." And so then it would like help you set up your Dropbox and stuff like that. Um, but when I once I actually did some like, and I, I submitted that just before Christmas, and it got rejected anyway because there was no content. And so I was going to have to put in the methods, additional methods of of introducing content. And so while I was doing that, I was polishing other parts of the app. Like, for instance, when you get the empty view controller now, it actually shows a picture and says, it says, you know, why don't you, you know, sync, sync to, to you, like to your library in Dropbox or, yeah. or, or you know, that, find more gifts. That's a nice way of doing right? it too. And that's all, that, like, I think that's a nicer way, but there's yeah. no reason to have both ways. Um, there are reasons, there are times when you should do like, you should do one thing multiple times in that particular case, all that, uh, all the onboarding wizard did was basically slow you down. If you were like, if you knew what you kind of wanted to do in the first place. Mm. So for the, for the 50% of my users and probably less than that, who, who did need it, I was then basically wasting the time of the other percentage of users. And so, my the the end result was I decided that it wasn't it wasn't needed anymore. Um, the information is pretty much there if you want to discover it. And I mean, given that it's like one of the core things about this app is discovering, then mm. you know, surely you, you can figure it out. 
And so now there's like a you can go into the like you can go into the explore section to add new gifts. You don't need to know all the kind of detaily ways of like you know you can use iTunes, you know the the file sharing in iTunes, which is nobody's no one uses that. that. Developers use that to pull files off the first. It was one like it was one method of one method that I kind of had. I felt like I had to tell them because otherwise there there was not going to be very many ways. And so it was it was not useful anymore. So I pulled it out. Hmm. But um, I mean that's that's one out of like a lot of different situations, and it was basically the only one where I could have possibly made like it it could possibly made my life easier. And so I just kind of you know. thought, why not keep it hard? Well, I I do like to test myself. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right now, what I'm going to do? I'm going to test my memory by going through our closing closing bits. Excellent, because it's the time. It's is, that the time, time is already. Up. You didn't even notice. I didn't. So, guys, if you would like to read about any of the things that we talked about today, you can do that. Jump onto our website. We have a list of show notes things that we have talked about on the episode and you can find links to them uh, there. Mobilecouch.co forward slash 24. You seem supremely confident of that fact. It is. Excellent. Well, last episode was 23. Which? 23 is the best number, so I remember that one. This episode is 24 because last episode was 23 and 24 is the one that comes after 23. There you go. Oh, that's that's good- what I got wrong in school. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to get in contact with us and tell me that 24 is not actually what comes after 23, uh, I mean, you could go down the route of fractions and decimal places and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, uh, you can do that. You can get in touch with us. Jump onto our website, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. I don't, that one never changes. And uh, you can send us an email like, like Arby does. And Arby, we'd love to hear from you again. We- Expl- tell us why we're wrong. Unless you stop listening. Sorry. Sorry, Arby. <laughs> Now, if you'd like to talk to us individually, you can do that as well. Jake is on Twitter and app.net, although apparently he doesn't listen to it, doesn't read it like we, we discussed last week. Yeah, I'm still not on app.net. He is J McMullen, J M A C M U L L I N. Ben is at Ben Trengrove, B E N T R E N G R O V E on app.net and Twitter as well. But no, again, it's just Twitter. Just Twitter. And I am at Jellybean Soup on Twitter and just, just Jelly on app.net that's it thanks guys for listening till next time we'll talk to you next time bye